Hello, everyone, and welcome to season one, episode eight of Living Leadership. We are coming at you from the School of Leadership Studies at Gonzaga University. And I am your host, Tara Weir. I am so excited to wrap up our series today and kind of sad, honestly, but I look forward to the fall. Um, And our final episode, which is a beautiful finale to this school year long series. This series, The Living Leadership, consists of eight webinars that were then followed by eight conversational podcast episodes, such as this one, on topics surrounding community and workplace wellness, which has become a very important critical topic during this um, age of pandemic. So we are leaning into what you need in and out of the workplace and how employers can support you in that. I am so excited to introduce you to, well, you, if you've watched the webinar, which I highly recommend, highly, highly recommend, um, you've already met them. And if you haven't, it is my privilege to introduce two of some of my favorite people in the world. Um, and actually, I know I'm not supposed to have favorites, but I do. So um, I'm excited to introduce you to Misty Springer and Debbie Heiser. So our topic today that we're going to dive into is how to be the leader of your own life. So I want to start with my friend Misty and let you know that Misty Springer is a life coach and mindfulness expert who specializes in harnessing the power of intuition to show up as a leader in your own life. She specializes in helping women business owners break free from limiting beliefs so that they can increase their income and impact and show up to their important work with ease. Her signature technique, Awake, Aware, Aligned, pulls from her unique background as a life coach, mental health therapist, health coach, and mindfulness specialist to transform limiting beliefs into powerful tools for growth. Misty is a powerful public speaker and a retreat facilitator and also provides one-on-one coaching. You can find her on Instagram and Facebook at Misty Springer Coaching. And I can vouch because I have been one of Misty's clients for years because all coaches, including myself, need a coach. Debbie, my dear friend, Debbie Heiser is known for her rock solid business experiences from solopreneurs to fortune 100 corporations, multiple years of coaching and servant leadership practice, her role as adjunct professor at Gonzaga, leadership roles in community and nonprofit organizations and more. The convergence of business expertise, teaching and coaching skills and a deep desire to help others find their big purpose in life led to the creation of Lead Your Life with Debbie Heiser, which is right up the alley of the topic. Debbie has had the privilege to work with amazing people throughout her lifetime and is living out her mission to help business people solve problems, dream big, and explore what inspires and energizes them in their own lives translating that passion into their businesses and careers to get value-driven results. To listen to more of Debbie's insight on leadership, uh, her podcast, Lead Your Life with Debbie Heiser, is on platforms like YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify. 
So, uh, and Debbie, I've seen Debbie in action as well, and she's amazing as well. And I also want to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Emily. And Emily, she is joining us as the Living Leadership Webinar and Podcast Producer, Emily Clay. So I'm thrilled to be with the three of you and to be able to talk more about this topic of leading, um, leading your own life. First of all, I do have to say that webinar rocked and it was like rich and deep. And I am so grateful for you two sharing your hearts and your experience and obviously your wisdom because you both have amazing skills and programs, et cetera. Um, and then to just share from your own lives was just incredibly powerful. So I feel very, very grateful for that Best webinar to end with for sure. <laughs> yes. So true, Emily, a great, great finish for the series. So, um, let's go deeper into the topic. Okay. So to start with what I wanted to do is really, um, start with talking about more on how to get to leading our own life even more than we already do. Um, one of the things that you said, Debbie, during the webinar that I really appreciated and I heard echoed throughout and with Misty sharing too, was around choice and the empowerment that comes from of that choice. Like, yes, making the choice, not being a victim, right? Um, so I'm curious... If, and, and let's maybe start with you, Debbie, and then we'll, we'll go to you, Misty, and get some input around what some other clues are that would lead me to know, you know, because I sort of pride myself on being pretty empowered. And so I'm like, oh, I'm not a victim. I know, no, no. And yet I do know that I'm stuck in certain areas, right? I'm stuck. So um, what are some other clues that you've seen from your clients and your life that that just kind of turn on the light to say, oh, right, I'm, I'm stuck here. So yeah. Thank you, Tara. And also when you're stuck, don't beat yourself up. Cause you know, when you make yourself wrong, then it goes down a, a different path and that's where you fall then into the victim game because the victim triangle, actually other people refer to it as the drama triangle. It's not, and I'm not talking about victims of egregious acts here. So please hear me on that. Right. But it's a, it's a mindset in how we think. There's actually three roles that play into this triangle. And one is the victim. Oh, poor pity me. That's like the, the real edge of that. And it, it's really, it can be super subtle too. And then you have the persecutor and that's the person that wants to be right. And we may have really good intentions, but when we show up and if I showed up and said, Tara, Emily, Misty, you need to run your life this way then I'm in the persecutor role because I'm saying I'm right and you're wrong. So anytime I try to make something right or wrong, um, and when I get into that persecutor mode, sometimes I joke and I say, it's really hard to be as perfect as me. 
because it's a reminder (laughs) that I need to step back and step out of that persecutor role. And then there's the rescuer. And this shows up in many different ways, like as an example, as an adult, and then I'll share even when it comes to managing and leading people, people would come visit me and I'd be all over them. Do you want something to eat? Do you want something to drink? I'm trying to rescue them. And so now I say to people, I'm so glad to have you here. And I trust that if you need something, if you need a blanket, if you need water, you need something to eat, that you're going to let me know. Because I'm not going to be on you the whole weekend that you're here visiting me asking what your needs are. I'm just trusting that you're going to tell me what your needs are. So that's a way to step out of the rescuer piece of it. But the victim, like you can literally Tara and Emily and Misty go through that triangle in 30 seconds in your head. Over and over and over again. Absolutely. And so the key (laughs) to it is, is to step out of the game. And it's hard when you have other people try to pull you into that. And I always say, don't pick up the rope. You can't play tug of war unless you pick up the rope. And so, I mean, and it shows up in some really weird ways, which is what I love about what Dr. Horseman says about bending the beam of observation back on yourself with curiosity and not judgment. Because when I look at and say, okay, I'm playing victim, it shows up in a way that just even subtle words that I use, or if I'm feeling any kind of obligation Like there's a difference between dedication and loyalty. So when I show up in loyalty, there's usually some type of tie there that I feel victimized with, Mm. right? Like I have to show up this way. Well, no, you don't. That goes back to the superpower of choice. And really that's where the choice comes in is to step out of that. If I show up and I feel like something is being done to me, like I don't believe that something's done to me, I believe I'm, I'm first cause. So I create it or I don't create it. And that then helps you step out of the victim game as well. The persecutor then too, it can show up in some weird ways too. Like I've had things show up in my life where I might be looking at like the relationship I'm in and I get irritated about something, but really it's a reflection of my own like irritation of myself. And I'm all of a sudden, anytime I say somebody else is doing something wrong, because it just is right. If everything is God, it just is. (laughs) And there's no, that's not wrong. And so anytime I try to make someone else wrong and me, right, that's the persecutor. So I don't know if that helps a little bit or answers the question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I heard, you know, the shoulds and have tos, and this is what people expect of me and I'm loyalty. So that's another great example of that um, kind of I'm stuck and now I've become a victim in this. Um, I'm, you know, disempowered. So Misty, what are some ideas you had? Yeah, I, I, I love what you said, Debbie, and I love the, the victim triangle. I think that's a really great way to look at it. And I love, Tara, that you said the should and, and that I have to. And we are always motivated by three emotions. Um, and they come from the thoughts, I, I have to do this, I should do this, and I get to do this. And the most powerful motivator that we have is I get to, because that comes from the, the motivation of love. The, the I have to comes from a motivation of fear. And the I, I ought to or I should comes from the motivation of duty. Mm-hmm. But I think that those are really 
really common phrases that we use a lot. And it's a really great indicator to let us know, okay, when I am, when I am in, oh, I have to do this or I should do this, that comes from a very different energy than I get to. Um, and that's a really, really easy way to, to just be on our language and be really cognizant of the words that we're using. Mm. And the words give us clues to what's going on inside. So that's just a really quick and easy way to kind of, uh, what am I being motivated by here? Am I being motivated by fear or love? And, and taking a look at our language that way. I think something else that really stood out to me is recognizing when I am in judgment, judgment of myself or others. And that is, you know, goes right along with that persecutor role. But what I have noticed about myself, and this is just, this has taken a lot of years to uncover, um, (laughs) is that judgment for me is a way of feeling like I'm in control. Because if I'm judging myself, I'm trying to control my outcome. Like I'm, I I see this happen so often with my clients. We use that negative self-talk with a very good intention. The intention is to try to motivate ourselves to do better. We've just trained ourselves. Well, if I just beat myself up enough, then maybe I'll get into action. And that motivator, that, that desire to be better is it's coming from that fear instead of love. And so it, it doesn't work, but we think it's going to, and we're trained to think in that way. So really being on judgment. And I found myself, it's, it's been really fascinating for me to watch it. Debbie pointed this out as well. Whenever I'm triggered by someone else and I go into judgment over someone else, it's like, whoa, bend that beam right back on myself. What is it that I'm, I'm frustrated about with myself? And I, I saw this happening just the other day. Um, I was, I was, frustrated that my my daughter hadn't gotten a project done in a timely manner and that she wasn't using her time wisely and you know I, I felt that frustration in my body I was just like gosh you know let's there's there's we got to use a better use of our time and when I noticed that in my body that frustration that trigger I was able to pause step back with curiosity and say hmm what am I frustrated about here? Where else is the judgment? And when I looked at it, what I was really upset about was the fact that I hadn't spent my morning as productively as I wanted to, that I had had judgments about myself all morning running in the background that I wasn't aware of, but got pulled out and were much easier to see in my daughter than they were (laughs) in myself. So I would say, you know, those triggers that we have, those those feelings that we have um, in relationship to others are a really great opportunity, like Debbie said, to bend the beam back onto ourselves and say, okay, what's what's really going on here? Yeah, that mirror effect, it's like, oh, right, that's right. And I remember somebody once told me many, many years ago, when you're pointing, there's actually three fingers pointing back at me when one is going forward, like, oh, yeah, let's take a look at this. Yeah, Um, yeah. especially when we have these, like my greatest teacher are the people that trigger me the most, which is actually where I get to learn the most because it's the, the brightest mirror image, so... Yeah. And kind of Tara, just on that too, to circle back to the choice piece of it. The interesting thing is, is sometimes these are generational patterns that we have 
and and so it's if you drew like a circle and put two lines in it it's when you get to that point like Misty was saying, seeing the reflection and you get to that point, it's about taking what Misty talks about, that pause and choosing to make a different choice. Mm-hmm. And that's where the choice really comes in for lasting behavior change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's funny because what you were just saying too, Misty, about the judging, you know, the judgment is trying to control what I what I realized is I'm not leading my own life when I'm laying in bed. I used to justify it and be like, well, I'm a really good thinker at night. I get really clear at night. I can make great lists at night. And what I realized was that chatter, that thinking, that planning was actually responding to this limiting belief that I'm not going to be ready. I haven't thought everything through. I need to make sure I take care of all the details. And that's why I would have these crazy amounts of notes because it was like this response. So I was trying to control and manage thinking I was leading my own life by being so creative and, you know, at night. And yet what I really wanted and needed was rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, so, so great. This is um, the conversation during the webinar. Like I know a lot of people's like fireworks and, you know, we're going off because it was such such a, um, a conversation that you had during the webinar that was so full of relevancy and reson- you know, resonated so much with me. Um, and so on that line of thinking around that chatter, that thinking, that um, you know, planning and brainstorming and um, but really that monkey mind, one of the things that you said, Misty, that we, that we do together and we talk about and I practice is listening deeply to myself. And one of the, one of the things that I practice and that I teach is the breath, you know, the deep breathing. Um, We talked about, you both shared a couple of other examples of ways that we can really listen to ourselves, practices that can kind of sort of stop that pattern that's happening. Um, And, and I know that there's certain times, certain areas in my life that um, my anxiety peaks and it's like, I feel I know I'm not, but I feel powerless in stopping it. And, and so I guess I'm just curious, like worst case scenario, you know, breath and awareness of curiosity around, and yet the judgment, it continues, it continues. So what Mm -hmm. would you recommend, you know, when it's really loud? Yeah. Great question, Tara, because I, I actually call it the first voice and the second voice. That first voice is just that, that knowing that internal, I call it the full body. Yes. Just connection with God, with source, with your purpose. Like it's, it's that place where you connect and you, you feel like, yes, this is what I'm, this is the next step. And then you go to take that step and all the noise comes in (laughs) and that's all the doubts and the judgments and the fears. And it just, it creates so much noise in our head that we can't listen to that, that first voice any longer. It it feels like it's out of reach. And so it's really about if it's twofold, it's turning down the volume on the second voice and turning up the volume on the first voice. And what I want to be really clear about is that it's not getting rid of the second voice, because I think that's what we try to do a lot. We try to just 
push out that second voice. I don't want you here. Go away. You, you know, you're making too much noise. Get out of here. And anytime we try to push something out, there's resistance there. I like to think of it as, you know, when you have overwhelm driving the car, right? When overwhelm is in the driver's seat, it's taking you in a direction you don't want to go. And it's just, you know, overwhelms driving and you're heading in that direction. But if you try to say overwhelm, you know what, get out of here. I don't want you here. And you try to push that overwhelm out of the car. What's going to happen? The overwhelm's going to fight back. Yeah. <laughs> say, I don't want to come. You're going to push me out of a speeding car. No way. And so what we need to do is we need to turn toward the overwhelm and say, okay, what are you here to teach me? What is, what are you here? What message do you have for me? And then when the overwhelm can share what it has to say, then it can sit in the back seat and say, all right, I'm going to stick my AirPods on. I'll <laughs> let you know when there's a big massive truck that's about to run into the car and you can be aware of that. So my point being, I think the first step is, is not trying to make those voices wrong, bad, go away, I don't want you. Mm. And also that there are... Um, there are messages there. And as we start to get still, and as we start to just allow ourselves to say, okay, if this overwhelm had a positive intention, if there was a reason this overwhelm was here, what would it be? <clears throat> Is it protection? Is it safety? Is it keeping me from looking like a failure? Right? And when we can understand that, when we can hear that, oh yeah, this overwhelm isn't here to, to, make things hard for me, this overwhelm is here as a protector. And then we can say, okay, thank you, overwhelm. Thank you for being here, but I'm going to try it another way. And what that literally does, and this is all about calming down our nervous system. Mm -hmm. The noise is going to get louder and louder and louder, the more activated our nervous system is. And so the more we can deactivate that nervous system, the more quiet that voice, those second voices are going to get. And that is through the breath, right? The, mm -hmm. the number one way we have to activate our or deactivate our nervous system to relax our nervous system is through the breath. So it's a really big, deep inhale through our nose, filling up our belly, and then exhaling slowly through our mouth and just feeling that relaxation in our body. And the other piece that I really teach, I teach this a lot is feel first. There are so many times in a session that we cannot move forward until the feeling is felt fully, that the feeling is acknowledged in our body. And so I, I have a little process that I take my clients through, which is I see you, I feel you, I hear you. And I see you is just naming the emotion. I see you overwhelm, I see you. I feel you, you're right here in my chest and you feel like this big band that's compressing on my chest. And I hear you, you're just trying to protect me. You're just trying to keep me from feeling like a failure. Thank you. And that right there deactivates our nervous system, allows us to, to pause, to slow down, which then leads into our superpower, like Debbie says, and gives us choice. So hopefully that helps. Definitely. Yeah. Debbie, what are your thoughts about that? 
you know, similar <clears throat> to what Misty was saying, then once I make the choice, it's also then being it until I become it. So I have the choice to, the law of polarity says, if you feel overwhelmed, you f the opposite of that is peace. And they're both here and they're both here now. So processing through the emotion, mad, sad, glad, or afraid, and, and, and facing the overwhelm, then it's coming down to the choice of, do I want to feel overwhelmed or do I want to feel peace? And making that choice. And then honestly, as pat as this sounds, I'm just not available for that. I haven't felt overwhelmed in over a year. I mean, and, and I'm doing more in my business now than I've ever done. And it doesn't mean that right before my women's event that I did for the first time, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, like this is happening, right? But it wasn't overwhelm. And I, so, but you have to, as Misty was saying, process through those emotions. And a lot of times it's, it's about not just processing through it in your head, but processing through it from a heart space and from a body space, there's a transactional analysis that we have a committee in our head and we have to feel it like at the heart space and we have to feel it from the body space. We have to be able to acknowledge all of that. And then as a mature adult, make that choice to say, I'm going to choose to step into peace. Same thing with fear or excitement, right? I want to pick excitement and move into that. Doesn't mean that sometimes the fear isn't there and pushes us along, but it's really like when I look at it, I think about about that piece of it. And then also from a practical perspective, then looking at and saying, what systems do I have in play that are, are driving me towards the overwhelm or driving me towards the peace? Mm. And how do I set up those systems? And sometimes it's, and it's not simple. So I don't want it to sound that way when I said, it's like as simple as looking at my calendar and saying, oh, okay, I'm only going to see clients on two days because I need space to be creative to create content. And so sometimes it's, it's just looking at those systems too, to then create the structure mm -hmm. to then be able to put yourself in a situation where you don't feel overwhelmed as much as you used to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's about setting up boundaries with things too, which is a whole nother podcast topic, but right. it, you know, so taking then that next step after what Misty's saying and processing through it, then creating the system or the structure. And when you can step back and not take it personal and look at, Oh, isn't that interesting? What systems do I have set up? Okay. I just signed six clients at my workshop and reemphasized why I need to hire an admin because I sat there for three hours processing contracts. <laughs> I don't need to do that in those three hours. Right. So that's kind of that structure that I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that, that leads me to another topic that I want to dive deeper into too, around the neurodiversity, but in, you know, in particular, one of the, one of the systems that I've created for myself I can't remember. I mean, I don't know where I've learned it, heard it. It's fairly simple on one hand, and then it takes effort to implement is I put a buffer at the beginning and end of each of my client sessions. I will make sure I have set prep time. Then it takes the, you know, I have to have the vigilance to like actually pause and prep or actually pause and take notes afterwards um, or, I'll, or I'll time block to, and then I have to really challenge myself one of the suggestions that I think one or both of you made in the webinar was around the idea of setting a timer 
and holding ourselves accountable, having the power hour or having that 40 minutes, whatever is your sweet spot for focus. Um, and, and I'm, I'm learning that like when I need to be creative, I need to do it in the morning, you know, like yeah. afternoon is siesta time for Tara. <laughs> um, yeah. Tara, you, know, you so- bring up something just really quickly that we all have to figure out what our circadian rhythms are. Absolutely. And when they're all we- different. Yes. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. It's like, and I think that's one of the things that I want to highlight from the conversation today and, you know, and the webinar is really being willing to look at what works for me, not for everyone, not just because it works for you, but what really works for me. And then finding um, and, and learning from what doesn't, right. As you talked about in the webinar, it's like, okay, this is not working. Yeah. Okay. How, I actually literally said to my teenage daughter last night, and how's that working for you? She's like, it's really not working at all. I'm like, Hmm, interesting. So that's a question I asked myself was like, you know, is this, is this working for me? So um, anyway, I just, I think that that's, there's, there's ways for us to look at and consider for ourselves what, what is, what is my rhythm? What's my flow? When's my best time of my day? I, I've done the same thing. I've been in business for seven years and I've really played with structure of like, maybe I'll just work in the mornings or then maybe I'll coach in the mornings and then do creativity in the afternoon, or maybe I'll nap in the afternoon and do creativity after dinner, or, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, I think that that's part of learning to lead our own lives is to own what works for us and yeah. be willing to let go of what doesn't. And if I can just jump in there, um, jump in here quickly, Tara, because what you just described is listening deeply. That that is absolutely listening deeply, listening deeply to your intuition. Um, one of the one of the things that I feel is our greatest asset in our business is accessing our intuition because our intuition is tapping into that first voice. It is saying, okay, what's the next step for me? Mm. Not because I'm following the rules, quote unquote rules Mm -hmm. of what a business should look like or what a business owner should look like. It is the reason that we all have, you know, become entrepreneurs. And and I know this is, is talking to career people as well. So this can apply to whether you're working at an employer or working for yourself, there is choice, there is flexibility in how you use your time and how you structure your time. And how do you get to it from this space of I get to, because I'm listening deeply to myself and creativity in the afternoon or, or not responding to, to emails until I have a specific time set aside to respond to emails puts me in the driver's seat. It takes me out of the victim role and says, I get to choose how I used my time. I get to choose how I show up. And from that place, I can listen deeply to my own rhythm and say what works best for me, not the rules, quote unquote, of what I should be doing. So much more empowering, isn't it? It's Mm -hmm. so much more empowering and we can be creative when we're empowered. (laughs) And, and the second step of that, like, this is why Misty and I work so well together, because it's like we it comes back and forth, is the second step of that is then making sure that as we're looking at listening deeply to ourselves, not putting comparison on that. Yes. That's that judgment piece. Because the universal law says there's no value orientation put to anything until we choose to put value on it. 
And so what shows up better for me isn't going to be what shows up better for you, Tara, or Emily or Misty. And I have to be okay with that. I have to be confident enough and love myself enough to lead my own life, not lead a life that I think I should lead because Tara does it or Misty or Emily does it. Mm-hmm. And I see and, people fall yeah. into that trap. And I did too. Ask me how I know. Right. But yeah, right. It's yeah. Yeah. And I, I know for myself, it's like, well, I just lost my train of thought. I'm just going to let it crash. I'm going to get back on the track. And one of the final questions that I want to ask you both to just take a little further after the webinar, Jess asked a question during the webinar around neurodiversity. And she said a term that she's learned called neurospicy. And I just love that because I have some of that spiciness in me. Um, and I have very, very close young loved one in my life that Um, lives with the anxiety and perfectionism and avoidance and fear that comes from her neurospiciness. And that triangle, boy, am I a rescuer trying to be the mom that makes it more comfortable, trying to be the loved one that makes it more comfortable. And and in the end, it, it isn't necessarily the most successful path. So I know that neither one of you, none of us are experts in this topic, and we have already had a wonderful webinar. So please go to gonzaga.edu slash webinars, and you will find the list and you will find the one about neurodiversity. Really, really fantastic um, conversation. So that I that's like our little caveat to say that we are going to come from this in a from a perspective of leading from, you know, leading our own lives from our own diversity of what's, you know, there, there's no normal, it's just we're different. So um, what would, and let's, let's maybe start with you, Misty, what would you say to a sister, parent, um, coworker, supervisor of somebody that is wanting to learn to live, lead their own lives and, um, and have these experiences in, in their brain? Yeah, yeah. And I I think you bring up such a great topic, Tara, because there there is a continuum of neurodiversity, right? Like we fall, all of us fall somewhere on this continuum of being um, focused, distracted, everything in between and being able to to stay, um, to keep that, that focus, to keep moving forward to be the leader of our own life, not getting derailed, not getting distracted, not feeling like we get to the end of the day and we're laying down in bed and saying, ah, tomorrow I'll be better, right? <laughs> like like the, how many times have we done that? And I think again, what it comes down to, I referenced it before is that calming of our nervous system that really is one of the one of the best ways that we can calm our brain is by calming our nervous system. And just from a very practical standpoint, we can begin there. Um, but before I go there, and I did mention this on the webinar, and I will mention it again here because I think it's so critical. We really do need to understand where a lot of that neurodiversity is coming from, where that, where those voices are are coming from, why are they there? What beliefs are, are driving those voices? Because everything that we think is driven by a belief that we have about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so all of that, um, 
there's going to be a belief running in the background and being really curious about that um, can be very powerful. So that that's a place to do some exploration. And um, that's something that you can, you can have somebody help you through that process, or you can just do some exploration on your own. But I do think that that's a critical component. Um, but on a practical standpoint, I do think that there are tools that we can use that help us, first of all, to recognize when we're in that place of distraction and, and overwhelm and recognize that there are tools available to us. I think that that's, mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest mindset shift is moving out of this is happening to me to this is, this is an experience that I'm having. And I do have tools that I can use that can help in this situation. And just even coming from that place of there are tools available is helpful. So the tools that, that I work with my clients on is first of all, identifying the emotion, because I think oftentimes the emotion is, it feels so big that we don't, we, we don't want to look at it and it just gets bigger. Kind of that topic we talked about where we try to push it out the window. Um, so really acknowledging the emotion and, and processing it and processing it, allowing it to be there is, is very, very helpful. It actually takes the power away from it when we can look at it openly. The second is just the breath. Like you were talking about at the beginning, Tara, and, um, using that awareness of the feeling and the voices not as a judgment, there's something wrong with me, but as an indicator light, huh? This means that I'm in overwhelm right now. This means that there is a feeling of overwhelm that's going on in my body. And then using that as an opportunity to say, okay, now I've got my breath that I can use. That's going to take me out of that, that survival chaos brain. And I can breathe into more of a a thinking brain. Um, and calm my nervous system down. So um, breath is a really, really good one to do that. But those are my thoughts. Any, any thoughts you want to share, Debbie? Yeah, I have a little in my life that um, also experiences this neurodiversity. And um, one of the things I'm not an expert in it. Um, Like Misty, I do have tools that I use with my clients, because I think we all have different areas that distract us. But honestly, there are a lot of professionals out there that deal with this that, you know, Myron Thurber out of Spokane, Linda Spagan here in Sandpoint that do brain mapping, and re like literally do things to rewire your brain. There are um, therapists that help with these situations because there are like, I think there's some that it's just distraction. And then there are some biochemical things that happen in our body that no matter what mind over matter doesn't work. And so it's a matter of then being able to find those people, because if we are first cause, find those people that can help you and they are out there. It's just a matter of taking the action to find them um, to find those people that can help in that manner. Um, you know, I think about this little in my life and, you know, this person's been in occupational therapy since he was three and being able to figure out different ways to maneuver in the world because the world is set up from a mass system versus different ways to go about it. And there's nothing wrong with seeking those professionals to help with that. And I, Typically, if I have clients come in that have that, I have one person that 
struggles with brain, I recommended her to Linda, go get that biofeedback on the brain done and help figure that piece of it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's great segue, Debbie. We're going to wrap up here, but I want to just recommend as a coach and as a person who has a coach and has had a coach for a long time, if you have the ability, um, if you are, have the interest, I highly recommend if you wanting to create the kind of life that you are the leader of, and you're living that in your life, then I really encourage you to, as any listeners at the moment, to consider finding, reaching out to find people, you know, and, and, and we, you know, we, we all have different and like interview them, you know, like reach out because like Misty has her techniques and her way and Debbie has hers and I have mine. And, you know, we have all these different people available. Um, And so it's again, like follow your intuition and, and that will lead you in a great, great place um, in in the direction that you're, that you want to go. So I, I just want to say again, what a great webinar and conversation. And um, it's been very um, enlightening and just great to reconnect with you too. And this is, um, this is the end of our series, like we said. Um, And so thankful for you both. Thank you for our sponsors, for making it possible for us to have this series this year. You know, the living leadership sponsors were Canopy Credit Union and Avista Utilities. Thank you so much for your support to make this possible. Um, So thank you, Misty. Thank you, Debbie. And thank you, Emily, for being such an incredible producer and helping make this whole thing, the work behind the scenes that she has done has helped the whole thing be smooth and effortless. So um, thank you for everything you've done in the series, Emily. I've been a little quiet over here. I feel like I've I'm doing more listening and more learning than talking in this room because I think I have a lot to learn from all of you. So that was um, an amazing conversation though. And Tara, thank you for being our first podcast host and hopefully more to come out of you. Yes, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for um, facilitating all of these podcasts and first year down and it was amazing. So thank you. It was. 